Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If I'm being completely honest with you all, I am slightly scared of the dark. Not really the dark itself, but more like of what is hiding in the dark that I can't see. It's what could be hiding in the shadows that keeps me running back to the safety of the light. Is there some ghost, a faceless monster, or killer lurking in the shadows ready to grab me when the light goes out or when I step into the darkness? Is there someone watching me, waiting for the right time to strike? Those are the questions that eat at me when the sun sets and I find myself confronted with my enemy, the darkness. Those are the questions that make me run up the stairs when I turn the light off in the basement as fast as I can, or when I make Anthony watch me from the front door when I have to retrieve a book for my car in the middle of the night. Even though that sounds like a childish thing to believe, that someone or something is waiting in the darkness for us, our fear of the dark is actually an evolutionary trait that we picked up to survive real-life predators stalking us at night. According to an article posted on Science Alert in 2016, researchers have hypothesized that this fear stems from a point of human history when we were nowhere near the top of the food chain or the top predators that we are today because humans only really became super predators with the advancement of technology, which wasn't too long ago. But before modern technology, our ancestors were constantly on the lookout for predators that wanted nothing more than to chow down on human sandwiches. Think of the movie The Croods. If you haven't seen that movie, it's about a prehistoric family that survives by following a very strict set of rules. One rule is that they must be inside their cave before dark. And you may be saying, why? Well, simple, because during that time, most of these predators hunted at night a time of day when humans are especially vulnerable to attack because we can't see in the dark. That same article says, quote, that means it is very important for our ancestors to stay safe in the middle of the night. If they didn't, they die. Over the years, this nightly fear became instinctual and we still experience today as a form of mild anxiety, end quote. And we aren't talking typically about the type of anxiety that gives us panic attacks. We're talking about the kind of anxiety that makes you second guess if what you heard was the wind or if it was someone in the bushes breathing too loud. The type of anxiety that's lingering, that creates a foreboding fear that keeps us on edge. This type of anxiety is your body's way of keeping you on your toes in case you need to go into flight or fight to keep yourself away from danger. In and around 1910, New Orleans experienced this foreboding anxiety when a murderer was terrorizing the streets and many thought this person was a shadowy figure. Myths, urban legends, and lies have clung to this case like leeches and only festered the people of the time's fear of the unknown and the creeping darkness. As many in the community started to believe that these deaths were the cause of something supernatural, that fear only continued to spread across the community. These fabrications only only grew and sometimes actually overshadowed the truth behind this figure in the darkness. This is the Axeman of New Orleans.
Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Okay, Allison, not planned, and I don't know why. <laughs> okay. But just as my last episode was about a serial killer, this one is too. So I guess I'm just on a roll with you the are. serial killers. And listen, yeah. you know, you were talking about your fear of the dark. I totally, uh-huh. and I don't know why, I think it goes in waves for me when I get scared versus mm-hmm. I'll like be okay for a little bit. But recently, every night before I go to bed, even though I've been the only person with Rodney in my home, when I go to bed, I go in there and turn the flashlight on on my cell phone and I look under the bed before I climb in. <laughs> and I don't know why. I I um don't do that, but I do, as of recently, have started pulling the shower curtain back open so I can mm-hmm. see in the shower. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it also with me comes in waves. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I'm completely fine. And then sometimes I'm like, well, I better check that shower one more right. time. Even though I just got out and nobody was in there, there could be someone in there now. <laughs> so now I will especially be doing it after your second serial killer episode. Yes. Yeah. And, um, but I will say this case is much, much older, obviously, like the time around like 1910, 1920. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it, it spans a long, a long time, but it is um, a lot older. So old, in fact, that this case happened before the term serial killer was even a thing. So oh. we didn't have that terminology then. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of neat to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just a heads up to people of New Orleans, New Orleans. I'm probably going to use them interchangeably because it's like Caribbean and Caribbean. I'm not really sure how it's supposed to be said. So I apologize if I'm saying it incorrectly <laughs> in my ignorance. I think I say New Orleans. Yeah. yeah New I'm, Orleans. I'm like 98% positive that I interchange them. so it's fine we're we're prepared (laughs) yeah um so in my research i read a lot about the fact that um you know really criminology was in its infancy here in very Mm -hmm. early stages um there was no real understanding of what it meant or no real i guess concept maybe people couldn't grasp that what it meant for someone to be a serial killer because we actually didn't start using that term until much later. I think it was first coined in like 1974. Um, 
this man named, he was a FBI agent and profiler, Robert Russell actually was giving a lecture at the British Police Academy in England in 1974. Um, and he first coined the term serial killer then, oh. which I thought was really hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um, but he actually coined it because he heard the description of some crimes that were occurring in series. So rapes, arsons, burglaries, robberies, murders. And he said that this is all according to um, author Scott Bone. He's a PhD, has a PhD um, he wrote um, on Scott psychology Scott Bone today. and I are actually Facebook friends. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look at that. Well, I'm qu- I'm quoting one of his articles today, and okay. you know, famous person. That's <laughs> How cool. So he he wrote um, an article published in 2014 on Psychology Today that was called "Origin of the Term Serial Serial Killer," mm-hmm. and so he talks about um, in this lecture this FBI agent talking about reoccurring you know, rapes, arsons, burglaries, and stuff. And that wrestler, that FBI agent, said that the description reminded him of the movie industry term serial adventure, which referred to short films featuring, like, Batman, The Lone Ranger, Mm -hmm. um, shown in theaters on Sunday afternoons during the 30s and 40s. And each week, the audience was kind of left on a cliffhanger. Mm. So they they were left wanting more. That makes sense. I see the connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the FBI agent recalled from his youth that no episode ever had a satisfactory conclusion. And so he said, similarly, he believed that the conclusion of every murder for a given person, a given serial killer, increased the tension and desire to commit the more perfect crime in the future. So one oh. step closer to... Um, what this article said was like an ideal fantasy. So it was on a cycle. So that's where the word serial came from. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Very, very intriguing Mm -hmm. and interesting information. So just as no satisfactory conclusion ever came in those minis that this FBI agent watched, so too, um, does no satisfactory conclusion come in the four investigators of this case today? Mm. Much like last week, because, you know, serial case, serial killer cases are different. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to talk briefly about some of the victims, um, his or her interactions with the Axemen, and then kind of go into um, some of the theories that I've read about. Okay. We will start off relatively mild if that's the correct term to use with people Mm. who were attacked and survived and then move into ones who um some survived and some did not with their encounters with axemen but i am anxious because you are so perceptive so i am anxious to hear what similarities you're able to pick out from case to case and how you're going to profile this person Ooh, i'm ready okay Yes. And please note, listeners and you too, Allison, that this person um, was attacking people for an extremely long period of time. And I think I talk about 10 to 12 different encounters with this guy. Mm -hmm. So if I left any out, um, obviously it wasn't intentional, but this was over a 
huge span of time and some um incidents incidents people said was the axeman some they didn't okay. so i tried to include as many as possible so if okay. i missed one my apologies or if i've right. included one people think wasn't that with mm -hmm. him also my apologies mm -hmm. okay so the first encounter oh yeah and p.s almost all of these are italian so okay. apologies in advance that i'm going to struggle pronouncing <laughs> your names <laughs> so um encounter one the first couple that we're going to talk about fell prey to the axemen of new orleans on august 13th 1910 so while most of america was asleep so too was harriet crudis that was until she jumped awake at 3 a.m and Allison, have you ever been asleep, but you can feel in your sleep that someone is looking at you and it wakes you up? Um, no, but that is super creepy. <laughs> I don't know what I would do if I actually did wake up and someone were looking at me. <laughs> I can sometimes feel, and maybe not at three o'clock in the morning, but you know, in that half awake, half asleep state, I can mm -hmm. sometimes feel if... Anthony is staring at me, but she said that um, she was sound asleep and that she felt someone was looking at her. And so oh, she woke no. up from this peaceful dream she had um, and she awoke to a living nightmare. <gasps> okay. And this is the mild She's one? She's an investigator. Yeah. Yeah. They get worse. Yeah. Oh my goodness. For sure. Okay. Okay. She told investigators that someone was standing over her and was waving a bloody meat cleaver. Oh, my goodness. Maggie, okay. if this is the first one. I know. Oh. But these people survive. So that's oh why I said goodness. this one was my home. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So stunned, obviously, she sits up in bed because she clearly knows now that she is not having a nightmare. Um, and the right. figure shouted at her, demanding, like, give me all your money. And so, you know, she's still half asleep, but she looks over and sees a pool of blood covering <gasps> her floor. And so that's when she's like, okay, this guy means business. Uh, where was the blood coming from? Okay, glad you asked. So not only was there a pool of blood, her husband was actually laying in Ooh. that pool of blood. Yeah, so she wakes up, sees this guy standing over her. Her husband's in a pool of blood. He's demanding money, and she's like, all right, I, I'm going to give you all the money that we have. And very early 1900s, she actually had the money hidden under, I read, a box. A couple said a box and under the bed some said that it was like under her pillow but they had their money in the bedroom and she hands over all the money that they have and he's like okay thanks and just leaves the room weird okay yeah Did this guy have on like a mask you know that's a really good question a lot of people said that he was so quiet that he was like a ghost mm. but I didn't read really anywhere where people mentioned really the face were covering. able to give a lot of descriptions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most people said that they were like too shocked to really pay any oh. attention to what he looked like. Okay. So he says, okay, thanks. And just walks away. 
yeah. And as he's walking away, he actually takes the family's caged mockingbird. So he's carrying a caged mockingbird what? and money. Made his way outside. I know. It's so crazy. It's like the ferret case. If yeah, this wasn't that 3 a.m., I feel like somebody would definitely have remembered well, seeing him. And even if I'm out at 3 a.m., I'm definitely going to remember somebody walking down the street carrying a birdcage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just casually carrying a, a mockingbird in a birdcage. Um, but nobody recalls really seeing him. He dropped the meat cleaver in the yard, hops over the fence with the birdcage, walked like another block or so, um, stops and frees the bird, and then just like carries on with his life. So he's an animal rights activist. But he's okay with, with, with hurting people. Yeah, attempted murder. Okay. When police arrived on the scene, they were able to reconstruct most of what had happened. So they were able to tell, and this is so crazy to me and so specific, that the intruder had used a railroad shoe pin. So like one of the spikes that hold yeah. the rails down to force the kitchen door open. Okay. And that they could tell by the state of the house that he had actually made his way through varying rooms until he came to the bedroom where the couple was asleep. Wow. I read that he first struck the husband once on the head and then the chest. And the husband's name was August. He was actually a grocer. So he owned a grocery store. Mm -hmm. um, he went to charity hospital for his injuries. They were deemed non-life-threatening. The profile of the attacker composed from descriptions by Harriet, the wife. Um, and a wit So I lied to you. Actually, now I remember there actually was someone who saw him. Oh. They profiled him as a man in his like mid thirties that was like five foot six, which is very short for a man. I feel like mm -hmm. broad shoulders, clean shaven, dark hair. Um, he was wearing a man shirt, dark trousers, and a hat. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. So that is encounter one. Okay, I've got lots of details in my head, like the railroad tie that he used, or the spike, mm -hmm. what he looks like, animal mm -hmm. activist. All right, I'm with you. Okay, let's keep going. Okay. So, encounter two happened not long after the first attack. New Orleans was yet again struck with violence on September 20th, 1910, around 1.45 in the morning. So we're staying mm -hmm. early Consistent. morning yeah. hours. So when people are asleep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am going to assume this lady's name is Conchetta. But she also, just like Harriet, was jolted from her sleep when a meat axe... Struck her in the face, breaking her <gasps> jawbone. Okay, this is escalating quickly. Yeah. We're only on encounter two. And, and I'm wondering if this is like, I'm picturing like an axe like you would chop down a tree. Is, right, me too. Is this what we're talking about? Are we talking about like a, meat, like a meat grinder that you, or pounder that you would hit? Yeah. 
Are we talking about like something you would chop up a pig with? Are we talking about something you would hit a chicken breast with to tenderize it? Because I feel like there's a lot. That's, that's There's some differences there, you know? So she gets struck in the face with this meat cleaver and it breaks her jaw. But before oh she goodness. even had time to really react or cry out, she was hit a second time, but this time across the neck. And she, at this point, is obviously severely injured. Now, yes. Conchetta watched as the attacker moved towards her sleeping husband. But I do want to pause to say, because I feel like... I feel like Rodney and Anthony are probably two very different sleepers. And I think it's because of the professions that they're in. Uh I think Rodney, I mean, I might be wrong, but I feel he would be hypersensitive and probably a light sleeper Uh because of his background in the fire department. So I feel Rodney would have already been awake at this point. Like choking this person out. Right. Anthony, however, (laughs) could sleep through he could sleep through a bomb going off so i definitely think he would also be able to sleep through me being violently beaten with an op- like an axe or blunt force object like i don't know why i'm he laughing would still because it's be not funny asleep. but yeah yeah but it is it's like that tiktok not funny ha ha right <laughs> yeah i'll wake up when a dog sneezes or the or the bathroom light turns on anthony right. would still be asleep so she watches her attacker move to her sleeping husband joseph and actually the axeman hit him twice in the face and again seeming satisfied with the damage that he had caused the axeman dropped his weapon took nothing from their home and left okay all right well this is bizarre to me okay Mm -hmm. so no motive it seems in this case other than violence is just to hurt people right Mm -hmm. it's just violence and why leave his weapon he's gonna have to buy another weapon well i actually read i'm not sure about in these but in cases later on that happen he's actually using these oh homeowners meat cleavers yeah from the home which is another level of creepy to me it is so he's going through their kitchen and Mm -hmm. finding these weapons okay interesting Mm -hmm. and just like in the first encounter he actually jumps the fence in their front yard um before he disappears amazingly though despite being wounded joseph was actually able to able to fire his revolver into the air which drew the attention of his neighbors and the neighbors come over to check on them which kudos to the neighbors yeah Mm -hmm. because you know it's 19 1910 1911 Mm -hmm. 1910 Mm -hmm. so telephones were not what they are today right right and um they come over to check on him and they actually take the couple to charity hospital yet again to the surprise of many of the medical staff that was treating them, though, both Joseph and Conchetta survived their attack by the wow. Axemen of New Orleans. So the fact that both of these people so far have been taken to the same hospital, does that say that these were taking place in a similar like neighborhood area? Yes. So okay. 
I don't want to say too much because I want to see if you pick up on okay. some of it. But um, okay. yeah, so all of them are, except one, are going to be in the same vicinity. Okay. And there's also other similarities with the people involved. Okay. So encounter three is the Davy family. And again, in the wee early morning hours of June 27th, 1911, Mary was jolted awake by movement in her bedroom. Wow. I feel like I would never sleep. But no, I would. Yeah, never again. In this encounter, yeah, in this encounter, a strange man was actually going through like her closet wardrobe area. And at the time, you know, and I think any married person or, you know, person that's in a relationship would instinctually think that, instinctively think that it's their husband or spouse or girlfriend or whatever that's rummaging through the closet in the middle of the night. Right. Like if I right. wake up in the middle of the night and someone's in the closet, I'm going to think it's Anthony. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So she did too. She thought it was her husband. So she's like, why? What are you doing? Why are you in the closet at? this crazy hour and she was actually and this gives me chills answered by a grunt from her husband who was sound asleep next to her <gasps> oh <laughs> yes my goodness oh my yeah i would so, have cried so the intruder hearing moment. her oh. yeah i would have had a heart attack so i would have oh, yeah. dead. right yeah the intruder at that moment, hearing her speak, turns around to face her and then again is like, give me your money. So now we're back to a motive. Mm. So Mary is not figuratively, literally frozen by fear, as I feel I would also mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. And he's demanding, give me the money. Give me all of your money. And she's just frozen. And he gets so mad that he takes a porcelain mug and hits her across the face with this porcelain mug. So, busting the mug, obviously. No meat cleaver this time. Hmm. Mm -mm. Okay. Nope. According to the history of yesterday, the Davy grocery store and the people that lived. In this area, they lived on the outskirts of New Orleans, about a mile from the, about a mile from the store. The attacker had actually gained access, quote, to the building through a window, prod open with a railroad shoe pin. Okay, whereupon so he that. moved to the bedroom door. Mm -hmm. That night, before he had gone to sleep, Joseph Davy had propped water bottles on top of the door as a makeshift intruder alarm, but the burglar had quietly disarmed the system, <gasps> giving him access to the bedroom. This stealth meant that the attacker surprised a sleeping Joseph Davy before he could use his loaded revolver on the table next to him. Despite demands for money, the attacker hadn't stolen anything, end quote. Okay, here's what's going through my head, first of all, right now. We're with a second grocery store owner, mm -hmm. which is weird. So there's another connection. Obviously, by this point, mm -hmm. people had heard about this guy. That's why this Joseph Davy had done this makeshift intruder alarm. It would be my guess. 
But so now mm-hmm. we're back to it's the second time he's demanded money, but this time he again doesn't steal anything. Right. And so to me, it's just almost like he wants it goes back to that article that we talked about earlier. It's like he's trying to almost perfect what he's doing. Like he's just hurting mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, though, Mary Davy would recover and she was actually able to give a description of her attacker to investigators. Um, she said that he was a white man who didn't have an accent in his English. So he wasn't Italian, which a lot of people in this neighborhood were, as Mm -hmm. we've already said. Um, he was clean shaven, just under six feet tall. So so just like the other eyewitness. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. He wore a working man's shirt with trousers. Okay. So same. Mm Mm-hmm. She was very adamant that his his movements were ghost-like, but she told investigators that he must have been barefoot at the time because they, she's saying, we would have woken up if we heard somebody walking around our house. So I think he must have been barefoot. Hmm. Odd, but okay. So the, hu- yes, the husband could not provide any details about the attack because... I read in another source that he was actually brutally beaten on the head. I didn't read in that source what he was beaten with, but I did read that his brain was actually visible. From oh my the gosh. Wound. So I'm going to assume it's from that axe or the meat cleaver. Cause what oh, else would cause that? You know, my goodness. Wow. Mm-hmm. And there, Home was broken into and they were attacked on the 27th and he actually passed away on the 28th from those wounds. Gosh. So, obviously the violence is ramping up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I was saying. The bloody bloody meat cleaver at the beginning doesn't seem that bad now that we are having our brains visible from being chopped in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Encounter 4 happened to the Andolina family around 3 a.m., so again, early mm-hmm. morning, mm-hmm. on December 22nd, 1911, Anna was sound asleep. She opened her eyes because she heard some movement and saw a man standing a over A lot of her. these are the, uh, are the women seeing this guy first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of weird to me because I see. I would assume if I was breaking into somebody's house, I would want to subdue the man first. Right. Because they're going to be stronger. Yeah. And I would want to catch them by surprise and not the woman. Mm-hmm. She sees this man standing over her and her husband, Epiphanio, which I'm sure I'm butchering and I apologize. But this man seemed to have appeared out of nowhere, she tells investigators, much like a ghost. Hmm. This time, the intruder was armed with the, like, meat cleaver hatchet top thing and a revolver. Cleverly, though, Anna did not say a word when she opened her eyes and saw the stranger in the room. So, she's laying in bed, opens her eyes, sees the guy standing there, and she just remains silent. I'm assuming pretending to still be asleep. But, this dude is super smart, and it's almost like he had a sixth sense. Mm-hmm. You know? And he could, she said it was almost like he could sense that she was awake. Oh, gosh. So, mm-hmm. 
when he notices that she's awake, he points the pistol at her and he's like, be quiet or else. And so she just lays there frozen with this fear yet again. And according to my research, this man actually um, hit Anna's husband four or five times before the man turned and ran into the adjoining room. So he attacks the husband, hitting him like four or five times, and then runs to the next room. And Anna said, quote, as he did so, I began to scream. At the same time, I heard my son scream, Mama, Mama. <gasps> I ran into his room and found both John and Salvador out of bed crying. The hatchet man had passed back through my room to the kitchen and got away. End oh, quote. So, John and Salvador are her kids. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I would have been flipping out. Like, worried about my kids. Oh, yeah. I think it definitely... Point, I think it's definitely points for her bravery that she was able to lay there and not give away immediately that she had kids in the adjoining room mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I immediately would have been freaking out. Yeah, yeah. Crazily, though, Allison, the attacker had gone into her son's room, so the two of them, John and Salvador, but had not fatally wounded them. He actually hit both of them on the head, scaring them, and then ran back and escaped through the kitchen. Hmm. And so, as I said, the husband had been struck like four or five times and sustained serious injuries. But he and his sons, and obviously the wife, because she wasn't hit, would go on to survive. The axemen this time had gained entry to their house by chiseling out a section of their back door, taking care to do so quietly in order not to wake anybody up inside the house or their neighbors. Because I feel like... That would not be an easy thing to do and remain right. quiet if you're chiseling at a right. back door. Like, you have patience. You have been there for a while. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. Each of these, even when you're disarming the the water bottle makeshift alarm, this guy is not in a hurry. Mm -mm. It reminds me of, what's that really creepy case where, like, the person was eating food out of their refrigerator? That happened, well, I mentioned that it was in an Unsolved Mysteries episode that creeped me out. But yeah. we talked about it in China yeah. and Blake Dickus in that case. the mm -hmm. They had eaten yeah. out of people's fridges, yeah. Yeah, like they're just taking time, like making themselves a home. Mm. And yet again, this attack was on an Italian grocery store owner in the New Orleans area. Bizarre. So... We've talked about four mm -hmm. encounters with him. So up to this point, what um, characteristics do you see in these different attacks or the person themselves? It, okay. Itself? So we have someone who is not in a rush. Um, mm -hmm. We have someone who doesn't necessarily care about being seen. It seems as though mm -hmm. is doing this for violence sake, but the violence is targeted toward the husbands because even if the the wives get hit, they're bearing injuries that are 
recoverable um, versus men. Uh, So wives and children, it doesn't seem as though they are necessarily the target, but there are like weird things. Like that's odd that he's okay with, you know, murdering these husbands and yet doesn't necessarily want to harm say the children or animals or things like that. So there's some weird, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, psyche issues going on here. And it's weird to me that they're all or mostly all Italian grocers. Yeah. Very specific. Yes. Very specific. Okay. So encounter number five is the Maggio family on May 23rd, 1918. Andrew, there are two different, Um, accounts of this that I read. So in one account, Andrew is sleeping and at 4.30 in the morning, he um, wakes up because he hears like loud groaning, screaming noises coming from the apartment slash house beside of his. Another thing that I read was that Andrew had been out drinking and was on his way home and as he is passing by the apartment or house beside of his, there once at house, once at apartment, um, he hears like people in anguish. And oh. the people that lived in this house was actually his brother and his sister-in-law. Oh, so he's definitely going to go check it out. Yeah. And so either way, either he was asleep or he was, you know, fully asleep because he was just you know at 4 30 in the morning he was falling right. asleep because he had been drunk that day he was passing the house either way he hears um some disturbing noises coming from his brother's house so he knows they're in trouble and as you said he jumps right into action so he actually runs to get help reports said that he actually went to um his other brother's house mm-hmm. um his name is jacob and informed him that joseph their brother and Catherine, their sister-in-law were in some type of trouble and so immediately the two sprint back to joseph and Catherine's apartment so i'm assuming that they all must live close maybe like in this yeah maybe even in the same like quote-unquote house and they're mm-hmm. all in these like different apartments yeah or close enough that he can run there right So when the two men entered through the back of the house, they found a kitchen door panel lying on the ground. They went deeper into the home until they got to the bedroom. And the scene that the two found, according to the article, Louisiana True Crime, the New Orleans Axeman Who Murdered Italian Grocers Unfond of Jazz, that was actually published on a website called... Yeah, it gets really specific. Said this about the crime scene. Quote, Joseph, an Italian grocer, was still alive when Andrew found him, but died minutes later. Catherine's throat was so severely, was cut so severely that her head was nearly off her shoulders. A bloody razor belonging to Andrew's barber shop was the primary murder weapon. Questioning how Andrew couldn't hear the forced entry of a crazed axe murder, the police arrested Andrew as a primary suspect of the murder of the Italian couple. However, police soon found out that Andrew was not the murderer. Instead, they attributed this killing to the man who would soon terrorize Louisiana, the axeman of New Orleans, end quote. 
Wow. So this is obviously one of those. It's a barber's razor is like a long, sharp one because I'm thinking of like barber of mm-hmm. Seville, you know, like. But, um, mm-hmm. wow. So again, grosser. Again, yeah, more gruesome. Couple. For sure. It's it's like he's targeting. There mm-hmm. are couples. It's it's not ever just one person. It doesn't seem like. Um, but now, obviously, no matter who crosses his path is going to be a victim. Yeah. And this time, you're right, it is a lot more gruesome. The couple's throats um, were cut with that razor. And before he left, the axeman actually bashed their heads in with his meat cleaver axe thing. And many people who researched and reported on this killing spree believed he did this to conceal their real cause of death, like almost as if he was ashamed that he slit their throats instead of just chopping their heads up. That seems a weird, I don't, that's weird. And Joseph would survive the initial attack. He didn't die right away. Um, he died minutes after being discovered by his brothers. Um, one article said that in the home, law enforcement agents found bl- the bloody clothes of the murderer and that they believed he changed into a clean set of clothes before fleeing the scene. I know. And like, what's frustrating is I feel that if this had happened in the time of DNA evidence, this mm-hmm. person would have been caught. Oh, yeah. Because if you're just changing your clothes and leaving them there, your DNA mm-hmm. is quite clearly going to be on those clothes. Oh, and all of um, those murder weapons that he just dropped and left. Yeah, because he, yeah, because he also drops this one. The oh, razor gosh. was found in a neighbor's yard. Yeah. Wow. And I did read that searches of the premises weren't done the day that the bodies were removed from the home and that even when they were done they weren't done thoroughly but the thoroughly in 1911 yeah whatever early 1900s i feel would not be the same as what we would describe that right right today you know Mm -hmm. there were reports by one of andrew's employees esteban that um, Andrew had removed the razor from his shop like two days before the murderer or the murder, explaining that he would have had that at home. And so that's why he initially oh. was arrested. But it was never that was never really proven, though. Mm. Encounter number six is Louis Basumer. And his mistress, Harriet Lowe. So we have another Harriet. Because when I was researching this, I said, hold up, Maggie. Are you getting confused? But no, there's two Harriets. Okay. So this couple was attacked in the early morning hours of June 27th, 1918. So we are staying on track with we are attacking people in their sleep. And we're now like eight years Yeah, so time passes. Hold on. Did I say that the... Maggio was in 1911 because it was definitely also in 1918. So if I did that, just disregard. But we okay. have had some time pass between um, Anna and then the Maggio family. And mm-hmm. then now we are mm-hmm. in 1918 with Louie and Harriet. Mm-hmm. So this couple was attacked in the early morning hours of June 27th. 
And again, in the quarters that back to his grocery store. Oh my gosh. So again, this guy and is grocery people. Yeah, why are we killing the people that give us food? They're my favorite people. I don't. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Weird. But much like the victims in Encounter 5, these two met a horrific end. So Louis was struck with a hatchet above his right temple, which resulted in a skull fracture, obviously. Harriet was hacked over the left ear and found unconscious when police arrived on the scene. So both take direct hits to the mm. face. Also similarly to the couple in Encounter 5, these two were discovered after the attack took place. So there was nobody there at the initial attack. Whereas in some of the earlier ones, you know, we have the spouse that could recall right. things. Right. These people were found after the attack took place. Okay. Harriet and Louie were found around 7 a.m. on the morning of their attack by a man named John. And John was actually one of the delivery men for the store. And it just so happened to be the day that it was like his delivery day for mm -hmm. Louie's store. So he stops that morning on his delivery route. And then when he's trying to make the delivery and trying to find the store owners, he stumbles upon their bodies. Oh, gosh. So, John found both Louie and Harriet in puddles of their own blood, and they were still actually bleeding from their heads. The axe, which belonged to Louie, was found in the bathroom of the apartment. So, again, so left behind again. the guy is kind of trifling through and always leaving behind, leaving behind the murder weapon. Hmm. What's crazy to me... Is that Louie did not actually die from his attack. Because remember, he gets hit, like, in the face. Oh, yeah. Louie was actually able to tell police exactly what happened. Louie said that he was sleeping when someone hit him with an axe and woke him up from a sleep. From his sleep. So... You know, very similar to all of the other ones. They're, de you know, dead asleep, sleeping peacefully. Mm -hmm. They get struck with axe and they're woken up. Police almost immediately arrested a potential subject and his name was Lewis. So, Louis and Lewis. Okay. He was an African-American man who was an employee of Louis. He had work, he was working in the store and had been there just about a week before the attacks happened. There was absolutely no evidence which could have proved this man was guilty, but police still arrested him despite this lack of evidence. Mm, According to the police, they're saying Louis had, yeah, and I feel like so indicative of the time period that we're right. in yeah we're just gonna assume this man's mm -hmm. guilt mm -hmm. um according to the police lewis had this is why they arrested him he, they say that he had offered conflicting accounts of his whereabouts on the morning of the attack so that's his that's why he was arrested he okay. gave two different supposedly accounts of what was going on some articles that i read said that harriet actually told the police that it wasn't an african-american man who attacked them she's like you all are crazy this was a white man that mm -hmm. 
attacked us. But law Just enforcement like all like, the other people. Eh, said. Yeah. 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 But law enforcement are like, man, you're a woman. You've been through quite an ordeal. You clearly are just confused. Oh, my god! So gosh. you have zero credibility, and we're just going to completely disregard, disregard what you have said wow. about the attacker's skin color because you are clearly in shock. Oh, my god! Again, That's indicative so of the time period. Yeah. Eventually, though, and thankfully, Lewis was released, as he should mm-hmm. have been. According to an article called Cold Cases, Famous Unsolved Murders, Mysteries, and Disappearances in America, media attention actually turned from Lewis himself when a trunk was discovered in Louis's home with all of these, like, letters in it. And Harriet kind of... I don't know if it was out of spite or maybe it was true, but uh-huh. police and Harriet kind of suspected that Louis was a German spy. Oh. And so they take these letters into custody weeks later after going um, in and out of consciousness. Harriet tells police that she also thinks that Louis is a spy. And so they arrest him. But two days later, he was released And actually, I read in that same Cold Cases article that two lead investigators of the the case were demoted because of this incident. That it was, Um, quote, unacceptable police work. Gotcha. All right. Encounter 7 is Anna Schneider. Anna was attacked in the early hours of August the 5th, 1918. So we're still... Um, in 1918. Okay. This is scary to imagine, but Anna, who was eight months pregnant at the time, again, oh, no. woke from her sleep oh, to find no. a dark figure standing over top of her. Sounds super familiar. When the figure noticed that she was awake, he bashed her face over and over and over and over again. Her oh, scalp no. had been cut open and her face was covered in blood. thankfully and this one i feel like is almost sort of a little it's it's out there from the other ones because we're attacking the wife right yeah so in these later encounters some things change but Mm -hmm. hours later thankfully anna was discovered by her husband ed um ed actually had to work late that day and so he was just getting home not surprisingly though anna could not recall any significant details about what had happened to her when she was attacked. Right. Um, But her husband told police nothing was stolen from their home besides like the five or six dollars that had been left in a wallet. So really nothing. Yeah. So essentially nothing. And from what he could tell, it appeared that none of the doors or windows had been forced open. And what's crazy, Allison, is... You know, typically we're with the razor blade, we're with the axe, you know, things like that. Do you want to know what this weapon was? Yeah, so sharp things. But you want to know what this one was? What? He actually used Anna's bedside lamp. Oh my goodness. Well, now it makes me want to get rid of my bedside lamps. So, thanks for that, Maggie. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have a feather, a light up feather. <laughs> That's what I'll get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll just get night vision goggles. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> but at this point now, lead investigators are actually starting to publicly kind of speculate that the attack on Anna could also be related to the attacks on the Maggio family and the attack on Louis and Harriet. Well, I'm thinking they should have figured this out before now with all the attacks on Italian grocers. Yeah, because we're now on attack number eight and we're just now. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. We're just, we're just, who are we? Yeah. So this one is yet again a family, but this time it's Joseph Romano and Paulina Mary Bruno. So Joseph was an elderly man that was living with his two nieces, Pauline and Mary. I wondered why there were two female names. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, is this a little risque relationship going on in the, yeah. Okay. So he's with his nieces. Yeah. So this is just like two days after the attack on Anna on August 10th, 1918. Mary and Pauline said that they were asleep and woke to just like a big bunch of commotion happening in their uncle's room. So the two run to his room and bust through the door and they... So the two sisters discovered mm-hmm. their uncle had received a serious blow to the head and had two large open cuts. And as they're busting through the door, the attacker was fleeing the scene. So they're coming in and he's going out. I'm assuming through a window, though. I didn't read that, but where mm-hmm. else could he have gone out? Right, right. So, despite the fact that he's actually fleeing the scene, the sisters were able to get a pretty good um, description of the guy. They said that he was a heavyset man. He had on a darkish suit. He had tan or dark skin. But, again, it's nighttime, so I do feel like, unless you're up close and personal, skin color could be a little... Still, even heavy set and all that, that doesn't fit Mm -hmm. with, unless this man's gained a lot of weight in the eight years, then maybe he's stealing from the grocery stores after, after these attacks, but it's it's catching up to him. I'm not, I don't, I don't know. This one seems off to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Joseph, like I said, was seriously injured, but was actually able to walk to the ambulance. And this sounds so much like my poppy. I could have seen him doing the exact same thing. Like, mm-hmm. I know I was just attacked, but I'm walking to the ambulance. Right, right. Sadly, though, Joseph died two days later from that severe head trauma. Mm-hmm. According to police reports and all that I read, the home had been ransacked, but... Again, no items were stolen. So, very similar to almost all the other encounters with this potential accident of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like I feel that this person has no idea who they want to be. Like, do they want to be a thief? Do they want to be a murderer? Do they just want to attack people? I don't think that they know. Or maybe they, maybe somebody was like, listen... One of these Italian grocers has this government secret, but we don't know which one it is. So you've got to break into their houses and find it. And it's almost like he's ransacking, looking for something, but then each one he breaks into, he's not finding it. So maybe the Axeman of New Orleans is the German spy. Right. Who's looking for something. 
And then obviously what he doesn't. Things. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. New potential theory. Potential theory. I did read that authorities found the bloody butcher's axe in the backyard and discovered that a panel of the back door had been chiseled away. So, so very much again. like the other. Yep. yep. Yeah. As you can imagine, by this point, New Orleans is in a complete state of panic. So yeah. there are crazy reports coming into the police station. They're calling over everything, every little shadowy figure that could possibly be a man. Police are calling in to the, or people are calling in to the police station. They're just overwhelmed with mm-hmm. what's going on. Um Investigators did say that the person, so this Axeman, was very much a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. So he would blend Mm. in during the day and seem completely normal and then turn into this psycho meat cleaver throwing crazy man at nighttime. So he would seem like a law-abiding citizen, but then just like was overcome when the sun went down with this urge to kill people wow wonder why the break though of a few years i don't know and i don't know if like maybe we just don't like they hadn't made the connection that some maybe some murders that happened in that time were here you know or i was thinking like if you have theories if you could explain why like maybe he was away during part of this time or you know what i mean like then it I do think there might be one it. theory that the dude was in jail during some oh. of the time. Oh. Okay. I think. Okay. So, encounter number nine is the Cordomingla family. Charles was an Italian immigrant who lived with his wife, Rosie, and their infant daughter, Mary, in new orleans or no a suburb of new orleans sorry just across the mississippi river so already this encounter is an outlier because Mm -hmm. we are crossing into another state so we're going from louisiana to mississippi right on march 10th 1919 so a few months have passed Mm -hmm. witnesses said that screams were heard coming from the house of Rosie and Charles. So one of their neighbors heard screams and rushed to their home. He said when he got there, it was evident that the three had been attacked by someone. He actually said that Rosie was in the doorway with a serious head wound and was actually holding um, the deceased daughter, Mary in her arms. I know. I know this one is a lot more gruesome than some of the other ones yeah he said that charles was actually on the floor bleeding profusely the couple was again rushed to charity hospital so we're staying right in that little neighborhood Mm -hmm. um where both were diagnosed with skull fractures um again nothing was stolen from the house but a back panel of the door had been chiseled away Mm -hmm. and a bloody meat axe was found on the back porch of the home so i mean so characteristic you know right yep thankfully charles was released two days later um his wife did remain for some time in the care of doctors but after regaining consciousness rosie actually made several claims that this neighbor who ran to their rescue um and his 18 year old son frank were 
the attackers that killed oh. that attempted to kill them. Oh, yeah. I wonder why she said that. But well, a lot of pe- so a lot of people have problems with this claim of hers. So the neighbor was sixty nine years old and was in really poor health. So a lot of people are like, "How could this old man that is already in poor health?" do such a physical crime like right right hitting you all with a meat axe like that seems kind of improbable and the sun many said was actually too large to fit through the panel in the back door so he also really couldn't have been responsible for this attack and even rosie's husband is like no it's not either of these men she's mistaken So, even the Mm. husband's like, no. Nonetheless, the two were arrested and initially charged with the murder. um, And they would actually be found guilty. Um, Frank, so the son, was sentenced to be hanged. I hate saying that. It feels so wrong. And his father was sentenced to life in prison. But again, Charles is like, this is not... This is not what happened. And he actually divorces Rosie because he's like, you know, this these are not the people responsible for what happened to us. And about a year later, Rosie actually publicly announced that she falsely accused the two. Um, because I guess almost like a grieving process, kind of out of spot that they were still alive and healthy and her family was, you know, injured and torn That's up. That's awful, And her though. statement saying... I know. Like, she's petty with a capital P. Yeah. Her statement, though, was the only evidence against the two. And so when she recants her statement, they're released from jail. Now, can you imagine that? They were, the dad was going to die in prison and the son was going to be hanged and you would have been responsible for it. Wow. I know. It's crazy to me. So we have three um, short encounters left so encounter 10 is steve baca who was also a grocer he was attacked on august the 10th 1919 while he was also asleep in his bed again there's a dark figure looming over him just as in like basically everyone steve was um steven was knocked unconscious and his head actually like was cracked open from the blow to the head Um, Once again, a panel on the back door had been chiseled out so that the intruder could make his way into the home. Um, Stephen did recover from his injuries, but in in many of the other cases, couldn't really remember much about the details of the night of his attack. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's traumatic. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually read, so this attack on Stephen came on the tail end of like a bit of publicity about this potential axeman of new orleans so apparently after the attack on um rosie and her husband and their daughter somebody published a letter in a magazine claiming to be this axeman so i actually have the letter in its entirety here so it says 
hell. March 13th, 1919. Okay, I'm creeped out already. Okay. Yeah, as in like the location. Esteemed mortal. Uh, They have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you New Orleans... And your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe. Besmeared with blood and brains of whom I have sent below to keep me company. (gasps) If you wish, you may tell the police to be more careful not to rile me. Of course, I'm a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am. For it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from harm. Undoubtedly, you New Orleans think of me as the most terrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. I wished I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relations with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I'm very fond of jazz music, and I swear by the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in those homes a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well... Then some, so much better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of you who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Mm. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my my native Tartarus, and it's about time I'll leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse. Hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fantasy. Signed, the Axeman. Okay, I'm thoroughly creeped out. This reminded me 100% of the Watcher episode. Of the um, Watcher, yeah. Yes, um, with the spirit. And... The fact that he keeps saying, like, you earthly people, blah, 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 blah. Like, he views himself Mm -hmm. as some sort of, like, different spirit. But, at the same time, Mm -hmm. you best believe I'd have me some jazz playing. Oh, and people did. Like, that was in a lot of my research. Like, there were actual, like, music halls that put on concerts for people to go to. Yeah. During this specific oh, time. Yeah. It sounded, this sounded very much um, Old Testament, like painter oh, yeah. door with, yeah. you know, yeah, blood like where, mm-hmm. to avoid. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. plagues. It was 
Very creepy. So, Encounter 11, so this one is next to last, was Sarah Lawman. This theory um, comes from cold cases, famous unsolved mysteries, crimes, and disappearances in America that we have talked about. And according to this publication, Sarah was attacked on the night of September 3rd, 1919. And for some reason, I'm not sure if they were being nice or if they were concerned, but neighbors were just like, you know what? I feel like we need to go check on Sarah. Um, she lives alone, so let's just make sure she's okay. And when she didn't answer, they become concerned and actually break into her house. And they discover her lying unconscious on her bed. She had a serious head injury and was actually missing several teeth, which oh, I goodness. find weird. Terrifying. And I don't know what that means. Like, she was hit so hard in the face oh, that her teeth fell out. Or, or, you know. Yeah, they're pulled. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to go with knocked because the other's I, too creepy. But the word, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't say had knocked out several teeth. It says was missing several yeah, teeth. Yeah, it says missing. Yeah, and that was right from that cold case mm, yeah. thing. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But the intruder had entered the apartment through an open window. He had attacked the woman. He left the axe, per usual, on the front mm -hmm. lawn. And she was lucky enough that she recovered from her injuries, but again, did not recall um, any significant details of the attack. Right. The last one was on the pep. Pepitones. Mm -hmm. Mike Pepitone was attacked on the night of October 27th, 1919. His wife, again, sound asleep, hears a noise, wakes up to see a very crazy man wielding an axe and fleeing the scene. And her husband had actually been hit in the head and was covered in his own blood. Mm. Um, I read in that same cold cases thing that mike um actually there was blood splatter from his injuries over the majority of their room including oh, a painting wow. of the virgin mary oh gosh what an image mm -hmm. yeah the two had six children as well um but none of the people who saw the attacker could give any characteristics of the killer and as far as we know the murder of Mike was the last murder of the Axeman, as far as we know. Okay. Hmm. So, we're going to talk now um, about some theories and just really the case in general. Okay. And, you know, we've already talked about how creepy it is that this axe is on the property of most of the victims very rarely did he bring his own murder weapon most of the time he's taking it from the house so there's right. that similarity mm -hmm. the chiseling of the door panels right another thing yeah the railroad spike mm -hmm. and just how much time all of this would take uh-huh and like because because he's trying not to make noise um the crimes, obviously, most were not motivated by robbery. The perpetrator never really removed items from the home. There were some that he took money but and the bird. But, right. I mean, most of the time he left without taking anything. So, mm. you know, I don't, 
I don't know. Like I said, it's like he doesn't really know who he wants to be. Mm-hmm. According to the book Serial Murder and Media Circuses, the majority of the Axemen's victims were Italian immigrants, and we talked about that, mm-hmm. specifically Italian grocers. And this led many to believe that the crimes were ethically motivated, so perhaps he doesn't have a motive as far as burglary or murder but more motive as i want to hurt this specific ethnicity Mm. many media outlets sensationalized this aspect of the crime and said that there could have been like mafia involvement despite any lack of you know despite a lack of evidence there Mm -hmm. Um, some suggested that the killings were related to sex and that the murderer was perhaps like a sadist who was seeking female victims because you know they most of them were couples yeah but then he didn't hurt the women or try to take them or try to do anything so i don't know about that one Right, in most cases, yeah. Unless maybe he was just hoping that he could, maybe he was a creep and was hoping he could catch him in that, like an intimate act, you know? Oh, I don't know. There were a couple criminologists, again, in this book that said the Axman killed male victims only when they obstructed his attempts to murder women. And this, they said, was supported by cases in which the women of the household, or People were saying, but there were cases where the women of the household were murdered, but not the men. So, again, it's just nothing makes sense. Right. This same book says a less plausible theory is that the killer committed murders in an attempt to promote jazz music, which makes absolutely no sense to me. But, again, I'm not a murderer. Right. But, like, who's going to be like... I'm going to kill all of these people so that jazz music can become a great thing and everybody will right. start loving it because I love it so much. Yeah, like, that makes yeah, sense. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't understand that. So, obviously, the Axeman has never been caught or identified, and given the time period, it doesn't really surprise me. Mm-hmm. Um, but given the amount of encounters and brutality of the murders, it does terrify me. Uh, yes, 100%. <laughs> the Criminal Minds fandom website actually had um, a couple different interesting theories. I think there's like three, okay. maybe four. Um, so one was this guy named Joseph Mumfire. And according to this fandom, crime writer Colin Wilson, based on an account by author Robert talent suspected joseph and his last name is spelled several different ways m-u-m-f-r-e-m-o-n-f-r-e-m-o-m-f-r-e-m-a-n-f-r-e so okay don't so really know something like Mumfrey. to be the axman yeah Mumfrey. yeah something along those lines but Mumfrey was allegedly shot to death in december of 1920 in los angeles by the widow of mike so oh. that last encounter Mm. that we talked about yeah so this criminal writer colin wilson speculated that the wife killed in order to gain revenge for her husband's murder Mm. so this goes on to say that mumphrey approached her who by this point was already remarried to her second husband, and demanded $500 in jewelry. Mumphrey threatened that if she didn't cooperate, he would kill her the same way he killed her husband. And that's when she fatally shoots him. And I read um, 
that she shot him like 11 times, <gasps> but was acquitted on the grounds of self-defense. So she really yeah. thought he did it because I think that act of shooting 11 times shows that mm -hmm. she really thought he did it. Yeah. And you ask about like that gap in time. Yeah. A lot of people said that Mumphrey was actually in jail from 1911 to 1918, oh. which means that he could have been responsible for um, some of those attacks, dep depending on when he went to jail mm -hmm. so, and when he got out. Interesting. There are some people that say there's not any evidence about this, quote unquote, Joseph Mumphrey and the widow. This is per fandom, but true crime writer, writer Michael Newton says, quote, Nowadays, Wilson's theory is considered to be an urban legend. On the other hand, sources reveal there may have been a man called Joseph Mumphrey, with all those spellings, in New Orleans connected to the organized crime and accused of committing a bombing in 1907. However, local records for the period are not extensive enough to possibly identify the individual. Two of the alleged early victims of the accident, an Italian couple named, I'm just going to spell it because I can't say it. It is S-C-H-I-M-B-R-A, Chambra were shot by an intruder in their home in 1912. The, the prom suspect was referred to the name of Mumphrey multiple times. Mm. So this dude's saying there's really no, like, plausible, like, we can't really find any for sure information on this dude. Okay. He also says that this, like, Mumphrey could have been an alias type mm. situation mm -hmm. so again really just chalking it up to urban legend right theory two is andrew maggio okay we know he was briefly considered as a suspect because of the straight razor that was right. used to kill the brother and sister-in-law was his um but Again, he was cleared by police. He was released. Um, authorities said that they were unable to verify, like, really any of the statements that were given against him. So they let him go. I just don't believe that one because, hey. number one, he went to go get his other brother. And number two, even when they got back, the brother who was attacked was still alive for just a little bit. And so I feel like that'd be awfully dangerous mm -hmm. because if your brother could speak or indicate something, he could have said, you know, pointed to him as the killer. So yeah. I don't know if I it was him that or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Theory three is a man named Emmett Daniels. He was a World War One veteran, and he was charged in 1917 with the murder of two women in Belgium in 1915. And um, some people suspected him of more murders, but he was actually acquitted on all accounts. So his time in Europe could account for that missing slot of time you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um one member of his battalion claimed that daniels actually killed a woman with an axe and kept beating her with like the blunt end of it so that fits mm. part of it yeah and theory number four my personal favorite is that it was a vampire oh my hence the letter <laughs> 
Yeah. So one theory, I mean, very unlikely, obviously, um, was proposed by actually the investigators um, because the killer managed to get into houses without a trace. And some of the investigators at this time believed him to have supernatural abilities and the bloody nature of the crime scene. So again, according to this fandom, led police to suspect that it was like a vampire. But obviously... Right. This theory has now been ruled out. And you so wouldn't be, you think, the victims wouldn't be laying in a puddle of blood because the vampire would have already sucked it up. Um, yes, yeah, suck the blood. I'm going to go, obviously, with either theory one or theory three. There's a lot that seems to back up theory one. However, you said with the dates mm-hmm. when he was in jail, it would have me, it would mean that he could have been responsible for some of the attacks, but not all of them. Um, Which kind of makes me, I know you don't have a lot of backup for it, but theory three with the world war one veteran um, only because there was a member of his battalion who said that he had seen this gentleman uh, or this man Mm -hmm. um, also kill somebody with, with an axe and to to beat her with it and that's so similar to the crimes that um i feel like that's interesting and i also feel like and again i don't know this for sure but i feel like you know if you're fighting in war you're probably used to doing things very quietly so you are not caught Mm. um so now why the connection to italian grocers specifically i don't know i think that would be interesting if you could find a link between emmett daniels and that yeah i really do think they were racially motivated mm-hmm, though mm-hmm. maybe there is some credit to being leery of the darkness it seems that all scary things happen when the sun goes down especially in today's case I know that this fear or anxiety of the dark was an evolutionary thing, but maybe our ancestors were onto something. I hope that one day we find out who the Axeman is. I doubt we will ever know for sure because so much time has passed. If we have learned anything from today's case, it's probably that while we often laugh about this fear of the dark, there's some merit in it. If anything, I hope that we learn that it's okay to be a little more cautious in the dark. Double checking our surroundings is never a bad thing. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next next week. Hello, sleuth hounds. It is now time for our love notes. I do want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, We had pre-recorded the last episode because our normal night of recording um, 
Maggie had a Backstreet Boys concert, and I wanted to wait as long as possible to give as many love notes as we can from this past week. So I am recording our love notes solo, but never fear, the love is from both of us. So I wanted to send some love note shout outs for those who reached out to us on social media and email this past week. So love goes out to Savannah, Vera, Jennifer, Dana, Amanda, Stephanie, and Monica. Thank you so much for either reaching out with case suggestions or for suggesting our podcast on the Facebook groups that you're in. And we also have a five-star written review this week from Kelly523, and she said, I actually found coffee and cases when an episode was mentioned on a different true crime podcast. I looked you ladies up that night and have been listening every day since then just to catch up on the episodes. I love the way you show dignity and respect to every single one of the cases you cover. I'm 100% a true crime junkie. I've honestly seen or heard most cases that are out there, so I think it's amazing that you give a voice to the not-so-popular ones. Listening to you ladies makes it feel like I'm right there at the table having the conversation with you. Thank you for what you guys do. I'm a co-teacher in a special needs classroom, and honest to God, I don't see how you ladies find the time to squeeze in a podcast on top of everything else you do every day, but I'm super glad you do. Love. Miss Kelly. Thank you so much, Kelly. That review, oh, it made us so happy. I shared it with Maggie immediately when I saw it. And we love that our teacher friends are out there listening to us as well. And thank you so much for your support. So all of our love is going out to all of you. Until next week, Sleuth Hounds.